we're going to read the first 12 verses, and we started this two weeks ago, and so I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity to gather in this place and to hear your word read and to hear the, the opening chapter of the Bible talking about you creating everything that we see, this amazing creation. What a joy it's been now twice to meet outside and to have this weather and blue skies and a lake and trees and fields and everything that you have spoken into existence. And to hear uh, songs that cause us to lean into you and to trust in you and to praise you and to hear a prayer that reminds us to hope in our God. And now, Father, this passage that reminds us that your people have always been those who in uncertain times have cast their eyes upward and hoped in their God. So would you cause our hearts to hope in you today? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So these last couple of weeks, uh, I've been thinking about how difficult these, these days are and how often I've said and others have said, and you've probably heard somebody tell you this or you heard, you've heard somebody say this on, uh, on the radio or uh, just in personal conversation. They, they've called Christians. They've reminded us to keep hoping in God. I mean, how often have you heard that? Have anybody looked at you and said, listen, I know these, 
These times are uncertain. I know these are difficult days. Trust the Lord, right? I mean, it's just a common response that Christians have. You hear it all over Christian radio. You hear it in sermons. I said it, I've said it a thousand times in different sermons. Hope in God. Trust in Him. These are uncertain days. Trust in Jesus. But I think, and that's good advice, that's right advice, that's the right thing for us to say, to keep looking to the Lord, to keep trusting in Him. But I'm also convinced, as I've thought about that particular call, that, that admonition over the last two weeks, that we need to explain more. What does that mean? Right? You keep telling me to hope in God. You keep telling me to trust in Jesus. But what does that look like practically in my life? I go home. I go out to the lake today. I, I go out to eat. I, I, I go wherever I'm going to go. What does it look like in the life of a follower of Jesus to be somebody who's really trusting in the Lord? So often we have these, these things we say, these phrases that we like to say. But we don't stop to think about what does it mean and what does it look like. So uh, in our, some of our circles we like to say, you, you live for the glory of God. That's why you, you exist for the glory of God. I have one particular friend of mine, every time for the last 15 years that I say it, he's a pastor in Indiana, every time, that's a running joke, but every time I say it, he says, what does that mean? He just looks at me and I get so frustrated. I'm like, man, we've had this discussion for 15 years. You know what it means? Stop. But he, he just says, you, gotta, you have to flesh that out for people. What does it mean to live for the glory of Jesus? So we have these phrases that we say, but we need to stop and consider what does it mean and what does it look like? So I think when this call that's been constant in the last few months, particularly in the, this season that we're in, this 2020 that we're experiencing, I think it's good for us to step back and say, yes, we hope in God. Yes, we trust in the Lord, but... What does it mean? And what does it look like in my life? So what I want to do is answer two questions. Why and what? Why do we hope in God? Why do we trust Him? And what does it look like? That's my hope this morning is to help us think about those two things. Now obviously, these are trying days. That's, that's always the case, right? I don't, there's never been a generation that, that's looked around the world and said, hey, things are fantastic in our world. Nothing's going wrong. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no death. That's never been true except for Genesis 1, right? It's the only time Adam and Eve could wake up and say, there's no, they didn't even know what disease was. They didn't know what famine was. They, they didn't know what death was. They'd never experienced it. That's the only time in human history. But it only took three chapters for that not to be true ever again up to this point and will never be untrue until Jesus makes it untrue when He returns. So there's always been the case that life has been hard. It's always been the case that there have been trying days. We're trying to figure out how to Live a life that counts, right? You don't want to waste your life. You, you want to live a life for the glory of Jesus. You want to make your life count. So you're trying to figure that out. You want to raise your kids in a way that honors Jesus. You want to pay your bills. And sometimes, sometimes I think, you just want to make it through the day and not have a breakdown, right? Sometimes you just want to get through the day and not lose your mind. You want to get through the day and not not lose it with your spouse or your kids or a co-worker. You just want to get through the day. That's all you want to do. Just get through the day and not lose it. So life can be really hard. But God is good and He's gracious and so do we need to do. 
pray, just prayed it. We need to keep our eyes in these difficult days fixated, fixed on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes trained on our God. But, but that's all, also true, not simply when you're going through the valleys of life, right? Like we, we all kind of know intuitively when things are difficult and hard. Sure, I need, to, I need to keep my eyes on God who's for me, not against me. I need to keep my eyes up there. Things are hard. I'm looking to Him. But you also need to keep your eyes trained on the Lord when things are good. This was, this was Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are walking into the promised land and God tells them, listen, you're going to get into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have houses. You're going to, things are going to be pretty good. And what's going to be the temptation? You're going to forget the one who gave it all to you. You're going to have a nice house, nice car, bills are paid, vacations, fun, pretty easy. And then you're going to forget who gave it to you. So whether it's good times or bad, we are people, blood-bought people, who always have our eyes fixed on God. The one who sustains us in difficult days and the one we praise for the good things in our life. So we always have our eyes trained on Him. But again, that's great. <laughs> we all agree. I see some people like, yeah, that's right. We agree. Speaking to the choir. Yeah, we always need to look to the Lord. We need to remember the blessings, praise Him for the hard days. He's doing things in our lives. He's molding us into the image of Jesus. We all walk away. We shake hands. We all go our different... We all agreed. But then you say, well, what does it look like though, Pastor? What does it look like, Jonathan? What does it look like in my life to be someone who's fixated, eyes are trained on the Lord? Well, I think here in the text, 2 Chronicles 20, that's exactly what we find, an answer to that question. So what I want to do is walk through this text. I want you to see four things, four things from Jehoshaphat that begins to move us into... Uh, understanding what it looks like practically to have our eyes fixated on the Lord. And then, at the end, I want to tie it. We have seven theological values. I want, to, I want to try to tie those values into what it means to be, at least four of them, to be someone who keeps their eyes focused on their God. So four things from the text, then we'll go to our values. These four things are one, when you look at Jehoshaphat, he's somebody who falls into fear. Now, I wanted to stop and note it, even though this is, this is a little bit different than what I want to do with the other three, but it's important for us to note that at the beginning. He falls into fear, then he falls to his knees in prayer, then he gathers with God's people, and they together trust in the Lord. So let's look at those four things in the text. Falls into fear, falls to his knees in prayer, gathers with God's people, trusts in their God. And then I'll move to our values. So first, notice that this king of Judah falls into fear, which is just amazing. I've got in my notes just a square around the word king. So right there, reminds just something that popped in my mind when I was reading through this. And I think he's a king, right? He's the king of God's people. Highest position in the land. He's got armies at His disposal. He's got everything He needs in His palace. He's got food. He's got servants. He has an army. He's all these things. He's protected. He's provided for. And yet, He fears. Look at verses 2 and 3. 
Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. So I just paused reading that. So is that, is that important or can I just skip over it? <laughs> Got to cut things out of sermons so they don't go so long. So I, really, I need to say anything here. Can I just run on it? I just, I just couldn't get past it. I wanted to say something because it was encouraging my soul. Here's the king and he's scared. Here's the king of Israel. He's afraid. And I thought about our culture and the way we talk about fear. It's often ridiculed, right? Tough people aren't afraid of anything. Twenty-some-year-old men, not scared of anything. People from eastern Kentucky, you're not scared of anything. You're not afraid of nothing. We, we ridicule. Tough people aren't scared. Then Christians, right? You hear some of this language... Christian, we're not scared of anything. We believe in the sovereignty of God. And there's a lot of truth in that, right? There's a lot of truth in that. We read the psalm, calls us not to be afraid. Christians shouldn't be afraid. We believe in a God who has a whole world in His hands. A children's song. Even children know this. So why would we fear? But the reason I paused is because that's not reality in my life. That's not always true in my life. And I would say that's not always true in your life. There are probably moments where you're scared. I'm referencing at the beginning. My kids are running ahead of us. I see a bear. I mean, this was what, two days ago? Three days ago, we're walking, ending our hike. Calvin runs off with his cousins ahead of the group. Not supposed to run ahead of the group. I mean, they have a sign at the beginning of the trail. Mountain lion country. Stay with your people. He takes off. And I'm tired of telling him to stop because it's seven miles and I'm not in shape, right? So I'm tired. And I see a bear where, looking at where they're running. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I was scared. That's reality. We are often fearful. We're afraid of a lot of things. You can look up on the internet all the things that people are afraid of. Terrorist attack. You can uh, public speaking. This, this what I'm doing right now is one of the biggest fears in people's life. And trust me, it's scary. I got to sit there and I get sweaty. Thinking I got to get. Well, maybe it's just the sun. I don't. But I get sweaty thinking about I've got to get up and preach. People are scared of things. Scared of lots of things. We're we're scared of bears. We're scared of failing as parents. We're afraid of. Failing as a husband or a wife, afraid of viruses, afraid of financial failure. We're afraid that we won't measure up. We're afraid that one day we'll stand before the king of the universe and we just won't stack up. So we fear those types of things. It's a normal part of human life. And so I read this, I, I'm reminded, even kings and queens princes and princesses, presidents and congressmen, pastors and lay people. All of us have this common experience of fear. So if you've ever been afraid of anything, you're in good company. A guy named Jehoshaphat was afraid one day. I've been afraid. Your theological heroes have been afraid. People have been afraid. Every person on this planet has experienced fear, even the king of Judah. 
So the key is, how do you respond? So the first thing I want you to note, if you've ever been afraid, you're good company. But number two, how do you re respond? How does he respond? He falls to his knees in prayer. Notice what he does there in verses 3 and 4. He runs to his God. He doesn't run to a self-help book. He doesn't meditate on his, um, his inner strength. I've got all this strength inside. If I'll just remember how strong I am. He doesn't do that. He, he runs outside of himself to this God who rules over everything. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set, notice this phrase, set his face to seek Yahweh and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah, now the people have assembled to do what? To seek help from Yahweh. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek Yahweh. So again, fears come calling. We don't listen to the world that tells us just believe in yourself. Just look inside of yourself. Dig down deep. No, we, we look outside of ourself. We look to our God. And what does it look like here? It looks like practically, what does it look like to run to Him? It looks like prayer. It looks like prayer. So people who keep their eyes focused on the Lord, practically speaking, what does it look like? You're a person of prayer. You pray. You don't just talk about it. I'm praying for you. I hear you're going through some things. I'm praying for you. Then you forget, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. You walk away. You don't do it. People who keep their eyes trained on the Lord, looking to Him, are people who pray. If our church is going to be a church that hopes in God, people say, you guys say that a lot. You say you hope in God. What does that mean? What does it look like? It means we pray a lot. We pray. So over my desk, there's just sticky notes of prayer requests. We just pray. Every night before we lay down, pray for my kids. Pray the same prayer so they memorize it. But I'm praying for them. We pray before we eat. We pray in this service. Pray a lot. Because that's what it means, one of the things it means to be a people who focus their eyes on God. Our eyes are on you. What does it look like? It looks like a people who pray. Number three, Jehoshaphat prays and he doesn't do it alone. He gathers with God's people. Even the king of Israel, this powerful guy, doesn't run to a closet to be by himself. This is amazing. True and undefiled religion has always been communal. True religion, Christianity, which is birthed right out of the Jewish faith, has always been communal. It's never been a lone ranger religion. I've said this before. It's not me, Jesus, and my tree stand or my boat. It's me, Jesus, and Jesus' blood-bought people. Look at what he does, verses 4 and 5. And Judah assembled. It's the same word for church, by the way. Call. Ecclesia in the New Testament. Assembly. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came. They came together to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. 
So how does the, the king of Judah get through the hardest and most fearful moment of his reign? How does he do it? He doesn't do it by himself. You're going through hard times, you don't get through it by yourself on your own. That's why, that's why we say, listen, if you have any prayer requests, anything is going on, let us know. Let me know. Let your elders know. Let each other know. You're not built to get through this life by yourself. You're not built that way. Did you notice the text we read? There's a reason we read Genesis 1. We keep going back there. Did you notice what it said? Created in the image of God. What does that mean? It means you're created to reflect Him. You're like Him in certain ways. Not exactly like Him. He is God, you are not. But in some ways. And one of the ways is you are a communal people. He is a communal God. One God three persons. You are created for community. True and undefiled religion has always been communal. To get through the hard times. To remember God even in the good times. We do this thing together, not alone. Jehoshaphat rallies around his brothers and sisters and together they hope in God. So what does it look like, practically speaking, to be a people whose eyes are trained on the Lord? It means we pray and we do this thing together. We think coming together to church is a big part of making it through this life in a way that honors Him. Number four. They trust in their God. It's the aim of the prayer, isn't it? If you read, if you read the prayer, which we're going to read in just a second, you'll notice... That the aim here is just verbally expressing their hope in their God. Fear was real, drove them to pray. They didn't, they didn't know how in the world they're going to meet the coming challenge. How are we going to do this? This horde of people bearing down on us, what do we do? They had no idea. The leader of the people of, Israel, of Judah. The kingdom's divided at this point, so Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south. So we're talking about the south, the southern kingdom, Judah. How are we going to make it? They don't know. That's encouraging because there are so many things we have to make it through in life and we're not sure how we're going to do it. We don't know how we're going to pay that bill. We don't know how we're going to do schooling whenever they tell us how we're supposed to do that. We don't know how we're going to do things. So verse 12, we're powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We do, not, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So I said I was going to answer the why question. Why do they hope in God? Here's where it is. So if you look at the prayer, verses 6 through 9, notice why they run to God and not themselves or some sage. They run to the Lord. Why? Look at it. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? They run to Him because... He is God. He's in the heavens. You rule over all kingdoms of the nations. There's nations bearing down on us, but we're running to the one who rules over all of them. In your hand are power and might. We run to this God because He is powerful and mighty, so much so, next phrase, that none is able to withstand you. We run to the one who cannot be stopped. No one can stand against Him. You keep going. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? Past grace. We've already seen you work. 
We know that you can do this. You've given us this land. Then skip on down to verse 9. For your name is in this house. And we cry out to you in our affliction. And you will hear. And you will say, why do we run to the Lord? Because He is God. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is able. No one can stand against Him. He will hear. That's amazing. He will hear you. And He will save. That's why they run to God. Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah hope in God, hope in God because He is faithful. He is powerful. And He brings salvation. That's the same reason you and I hope in God. Why do we hope in God? Because He is powerful. He is mighty. He is without equal. And He hears our cries and He comes to our aid. That's why our eyes are always on Him. So you have a king who is fearful. But where does it drive him? It drives him to his knees to pray. It drives him to rally together with God's people. And together they pray and hope in their God. Because they know He is powerful. He is mighty. He is without equal. He will hear their cries. And He will save. So, so we're going to get practical. I still don't think we're quite there. Prayer is one practical thing. But I want to try to tie this looking to the Lord, keeping our eyes on Him. That last phrase, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I want to try to tie that for you to our theological values. We have seven of them. I want to tie them to the first four. Christian hedonism, gospel-centered, spirit-dependent, Bible-saturated. All those things connect to what it means to keep your eyes on the Lord. So number one, Christian hedonism. Hedonism by itself, bad. That's why it's important we say Christian hedonism. It means that God is at the center of our affections. We pursue Him as the greatest treasure and pleasure of our lives. It means to keep your eyes focused on God, our eyes are on you, means that we look to Him as the one who satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. First thing that means, I'm looking to the one who satisfies the deepest longings of my heart. In the good times, when I have all that I need or want, I'm careful not to let the things that I do have, the things of this world, draw me away from God. I keep my eyes on Him. He satisfies even in times of plenty or in times of lack when I don't have everything I need. What, what happens? What grows? I'd like to have that thing. I don't have that thing. I want that thing. So discontentment raises its head. Draws you away. So one, one danger, you've got all this stuff and this stuff is pulling your heart over here. It's got it. Drew you away. This other way, I don't have it drawing me over here. I want it. And what we're saying, keep your eyes on God in the good times, in the times of plenty, in the times of lack. He satisfies my soul. Not my possessions or lack thereof. He satisfies my soul. He is, Psalm 43, 5, He is my exceeding joy. So that's number one. 
What does it mean to keep your eyes on the Lord? Be satisfied in Him. Number two, it means keeping our eyes on the Lord means we look to Him as the one who solves the greatest problem we have. Gospel-centered. All kinds of problems in this life. None of them are as big as the main problem. That's your enmity with a holy God. That's the biggest problem humanity faces. Sin. Enmity. God's wrath bearing down. So we look to Him. We've got all these problems, but my eyes are trained here on God and His Christ because that, Him, they have solved my greatest problem. Jesus has paid my debt. Jesus has reconciled me to God. So if you're in Christ, you're going to have trouble for 50 years or 60 years or 70 years. It's encouragement for you. However long you live, there will be problems. They will come, they will go. Some will be big, some will be small. You will always have trouble. In this life, what did Jesus promise? In this life, you will have trouble. Just the reality. But, this is all the trouble you will ever know for the next 60 billion years and beyond. Can you just fathom that? I tried to come up with a number. I said 50 or 60 billion. In my notes, it's 2 billion. It's not big enough because eternity is forever. <laughs> so this is all the trouble, all the pain, all the hardship you will ever know. 50, 60, 70 years. And then no more. Why? Because of Jesus who solved your greatest problem. He went to the cross to pay the debt of sin so that if you believe in Him, your debt is paid, you're reconciled to God, and the future is glorious. So to keep your eyes fixed on God is to hope in the One who solved your greatest problem. Number three, it means we're spirit dependent. We keep our eyes Locked on our God, whose Spirit lives within us. And what does He do? He guides us along the way. We're trying to figure out life. How do I love my wife? How do I disciple my kids? Uh, what do I do for work? How do I respond to this friend or that problem? All these things i got to figure out. And you have the greatest resource in the world living within you if you're a Christian. The Spirit of the living God. So to keep my eyes trained on Him is to keep my eyes trained on the leading of the Spirit who lives within me and who will lead me along in wisdom and will preserve me until Christ returns or calls me home. Fourth, lastly, what does it mean to keep our eyes focused on God? It means practically keep your ears open so you look to the Lord by keeping your ears open to His Word. To keep our eyes on the Lord is to open our ears to the Bible. To look in order to listen. That is, when, when someone's talking to you, what's, what's it polite to do? Somebody's talking to you, it's polite to look at them, right? So, so to keep our eyes focused on the Lord is we look in order to listen. We want to listen well. 2 Chronicles 20, 15. They heard from the Lord, right? They're seeking Him. They're hearing from Him. In verse 15, the people assembled and heard from God. He called them not to be afraid. So too for us. 
We look to the Lord to be a people who keep their eyes. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. We're looking in order to hear, to listen. That means we go to the Word. We go to the Bible. We saturate our. We, we say we want to be a Bible-saturated people. We want to be like John Bunyan. You prick him, they, they would say about Bunyan, you prick him, he bleeds Bible. Why? Not because we want to win Bible drills. Right? Not because we want to show each other how much we know. We're looking in order to listen because we want to hear from our God. To keep our eyes focused on Him means that He is the one who satisfies our hearts. He is the one who we look to to solve our greatest problem. He is the one we look to to lead us, guide us, preserve us. And He is the one we look to in order to hear from so that we live lives that bring glory and honor to Him and joy to our neighbors. So as we leave this place today, with all the problems that surround us, all the things in your life, there are going to be times when you don't know what to do. I don't have all the answers for where we're going to be in two weeks. I don't have all the answers for what church is going to look like when we get back to some sense of normal. I don't know. But my eyes are on the one who does. And in your own life, you don't know what tomorrow looks like. You don't know all the things that you're going to have to do. You don't have all the answers. And that's okay. Because your eyes are fixed on a God who knows everything, has the whole world in His hand, who's for you and not against you, and will keep you until Christ returns or calls you home. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time to gather with these brothers and sisters. I pray for them. I pray that every day they would be a people who fix their gaze on Jesus Christ, the satisfier of their soul. That they would be a people who hope in You. A people who don't always have it figured out, but they know a God who has ordained the end from the beginning. May we be a people who hope in You. In Christ's name, Amen. For the next, uh, the next couple of minutes, I just want to pause. And we're going to just have a time of silent reflection. So just sit there in your space and pray. Or you can walk around in this beautiful field. Just pray for a moment. Reflect on God's goodness, on God's kindness, and what it looks like for you personally in your own life and in your family's life to set your eyes on this God. And then I'll close us in prayer.